American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Good afternoon, the conscious my <laughs> good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Sorry, I'm a little tongue-tied today because I am just super thrilled at the guest uh, we have today. And uh, I am really looking forward to today's show. Um of course, uh, uh, and I hope you caught last week's show. I had a wonderful guest come in, Pad, talking about um, archetypes. It was a wonderful episode all about archetypes. And um, uh, really got uh, with today's guest and a couple of uh, guests in, in the future, uh, next couple of weeks coming on board, I uh, really have a lot of great uh, uh, authors coming on to the show. Okay, but first, uh, of course, we've got our little section from my book, Everyday Awakening, uh, of course, available at everydayawakeningbook.com. And this section is called, I think, rather apropos, uh, bringing joy to our challenges is how we glide through them. Challenges are not something we need to avoid. Although they are not comfortable, they do serve a purpose. They push us beyond what we thought our limits are. They help us to get out of our comfort zone and bring real growth. Just like an animal that must shed its skin to grow, the process is uncomfortable. Just like a seed that must exert immense pressure to break through its case, it's not easy. Yet in order for our muscles to grow strong, they need resistance to push against. In order for us to build our emotional, physical, and spiritual muscles, something we're going to be talking about today, we must push against resistance. Once we have developed our muscles, then we can dance with it. After we have gone through our transformation, then we can use our new wings to fly. When we are in the middle of our challenges, we don't feel very nice. Yes, when we are experiencing the very things we want to avoid, we don't feel good. If we judge our experiences and make them wrong or bad, we are only making it more difficult for ourselves. But if we can face the challenge without judgment and criticism, we may find it a little easier to get through. When we release our expectations and let go of our opinions about the challenges we face, then we can allow them to unfold more naturally and more quickly. And in the end, is that not what we truly want? To get through our challenges as quickly as possible? It is up to us to stop resisting our difficulties. The choice and the power to overcome them is within us. We can choose to fight against them and try to push them away, or we can embrace them. In fact, we could go even further and revel in them. We could bring our joy to the entire process and then see what happens. 
Do you have a challenge you are experiencing that you can bring more joy to? Is there a challenge you have been resisting that you can embrace and accept to make it easier to face? Um, so this little section of my book, um, I wrote a while ago, and I wrote because uh, from someone who really inspired me. And, you know, I've, I've always been sort of the kind of person who kind of avoids uncomfortable situations, who, avoid, who avoids, you know, challenges that, that just don't make me feel good. But I met this gentleman once, and he was like so like oh yeah like here's something juicy let's dig into it like oh here's a problem yeah let's really um um face it and and and, and go into it and, and he had such a joyful attitude towards meeting his challenges and it just so inspired me and i thought oh, if we could all just bring a little more of that curiosity and playfulness and and excitement into our challenges, how much easier would they be to work through, to live through, to move forward through? I really, um, uh, it, it really inspired me. And that kind of was sort of the, the, the genesis of this little, little section that I wrote in the book. Because it, just my own self-reflection, I, I don't like hard things in general. Um, yet I find that when I am conscious enough, when I am aware enough that when I'm faced with something that is a real challenge for me, that, that is difficult for me, when I bring curiosity to it, when I bring excitement to it, when I find a way to just be playful in it and have fun with it that suddenly it, it makes getting through it so much easier, so much more fun, so much more filled with life. And, and I just felt like that was something that we can all uh, learn from. And that's something that everyone I know can, can really benefit from. So um, I, I offer this to you this week and, and just, you know, think about your, your homework this week is, you know, do you have a challenge you're facing that you can bring a little more fun to, a little more curiosity to, a little more uh, uh, aliveness to, and just see the, the difference that that makes in your own life. Um, and so now, um, without further ado, um, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Paul Levy. Paul is a pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence and a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner for more than 35 years. He was the coordinator of the Portland chapter of the Padma Sad Sabadva, I hope I got that right, <laughs> um, a Buddhist center for over 20 years. As an artist, after, um, excuse me, uh, as an art, an artist, after the trauma of his shamanic of his shamanic breakdown slash breakthrough, he became a certified art teacher. Due to his great interest in the works of Carl Jung, he became the manager of the Carl Jung Foundation. 
book service in New York, as well as an advertising manager for the Jungian journal Quadrant. Uh, last week, you know, we talked a bit about Jung's archetype. So, so again, kind of following that theme. In 93, after many years of struggling to contain and integrate his non-ordinary experiences, Paul started to openly share his insights about the dreamlike nature of reality. He began giving talks and facilitating groups based on how life is shared through waking dream, through a waking dream that we are all co-creating and co-dreaming together. He's founder of the Awakening in the Dream community in Portland, Oregon. He's the author of several books, including The Madness of George Bush, A Reflection of Our Collective Psychosis, Dispelling Watiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father, and The Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality. And we're here today to talk about his new book, Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Paul. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you. It, it, it's a pleasure to have you. I've been really looking forward to this because I, I, I've uh, heard about the concept of Wetiko years ago um, through uh, uh, a friend of mine, and um, I, I just it it so resonated with me. I really wanted to discuss this on my show. So you are the perfect person to talk to this about, since you're the mm-hmm. one who really brought it into our consciousness. But I always like to start off with kind of how did you get from there to here so what was that that breakdown breakthrough experience that really opened you up to this idea that things are not always as they appear on the surface yeah no and and I think that's important to create context for my work because my whole body of work has come out of that experience and so basically I you know in my childhood I had seemingly a happy healthy childhood. But unbeknownst to me, my father was was a really bad guy. He he was mm-hmm. sick in a certain way. And like so many people, he wasn't dealing with his unhealed abuse. And just at a certain point when I began to individuate, and I'm talking pretty much when I was in college, when I was separating, individuating, um, that's when he really enacted his unhealed abuse. And I was the recipient And I don't need to go into the story, but it created enormous suffering for me, so much so that I went from a very accomplished kid, very happy, healthy person to I could I couldn't even, you know, my whole life just came to a halt. And so what I did with it, I went inwards. I began to really inquire into the nature of my mind and just spent hours and hours a day for a couple of years, just assuming the position of the witness because that was the only thing that made me feel better. And, and then in 1981, in the spring, I had a life-transforming spiritual awakening, which was catalyzed by getting hit by a bolt of lightning. And the lightning ignited inside of my brain just for an instant while I was sitting in meditation. And within 24 hours, I went into such an extreme state. And basically, I was realizing that this is a collective dream, that we're all dreaming up together. And, you know, I was 24. I was so excited and enthusiastic that it freaked people out. It was like having this radical personality change, um, you know, from one moment to the next. And, and I, so I got immediately got brought to a psychiatric hospital. Uh, Anyways, it seems like you have a question. 
Yeah, I just want to, was it a literal bolt of lightning or a figurative yeah. bolt of lightning? That was a literal, literal bolt of lightning. It was like wow. just a literal, like a lightning bolt ignited inside of my brain. And oh, I didn't wow. know that, you know, in a lot of traditions, they talk about awakenings being catalyzed by getting hit by bolts of lightning. And mm. that certainly was my experience. But the thing which was interesting <clears throat> is that not only was I having this, this realization of the dreamlike nature, but over that next almost a couple of years, because, you know, so I got immediately brought into a, uh, a psychiatric ward, diagnosed as being bipolar. And I knew that, oh, they don't have any idea what they're talking about. I knew I was having an awakening. It couldn't have been made. It couldn't have been more obvious to me. Mm-hmm. So over that next um, one and a half years, maybe three, four other times, I was put in hospitals and... Um, but the the thing I was going to say was that things began happening in my life that were physically impossible. Particularly, I was beginning to meet my teachers. And when I was around them, it was like the whole 3D space-time continuum just warped and stuff would happen that could only happen in dreams. And I didn't realize it then, but I was being shown something. And it's taken me 40-plus years, and I'm still integrating what what was being shown to me but you know so it it, in the last hospital which was 82 and I took myself off the medication really quick because I figured out how to navigate between the worlds of consensus Mm -hmm. reality and this new world that I had actually um tapped into and it took me about a dozen years to go to therapy and connect with my dreams and study young and do Buddhism and shamanic stuff and plant medicine and, you know, everything under the sun because I was in so much pain and trauma. And then in like 94, I think is when I started teaching because that's when I realized, you know, I'm not fully healed. I don't know if, if I'll ever be, um, but I had the realization that by going through that ordeal, I had discovered something in myself that was medicine for other people. And so that's when I began teaching and I haven't had to do anything else very thankfully since. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And isn't that like the, 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 in in the, the the indigenous tradition of, of, of shamanism and of being a shaman, a shaman is basically someone who's gone through some extraordinary experience and has integrated to some extent and then sort of shows the way for the rest of the village. Yeah, no, that, and I knew nothing about shamanism and I joke with my friends, I'm no shaman only in my wildest of, of my night dreams. Am I a shaman? Um, But the shaman is related to the wounded healer and, and we're all wounded healers. And I point out in my work that the shamanic archetype is, is one of, if not the primary archetypes that's activated in the collective unconscious of our species that we're all being called to be shamans. We're shamans in training. We're wounded healers in training. And at a certain point, I began to, to, you know, to see the pattern. Oh, I've gotten enlisted into the shamanic initiatory process. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Great, Paul. Great. Okay. Nice foundation. We have to take our first break. So when we come back, I want to talk about like how you sort of discovered or or came up with this idea of Watiko or how you sort of synthesized it and then, you know, what it kind of meant in the beginning. And then we'll get into a couple of different aspects that you write about in your book. Sure. 
Wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and on Facebook and all our different Facebook groups and the Talk Radio Facebook group, Inspired Thoughts, The Conscious Consultant. And we're talking this hour with Paul Levy, author of the book with Tico. And we will be right back after these messages. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. So, so Paul, in the last segment, we talked about you having your own sort of awakening. Um, some people call it a kundalini awakening, a spiritual awakening, wh- whatever you want to call it. doesn't really, the labels aren't a- as important to me as the experience itself. But how did that lead you and, and, and what sort of was the catalyst for you to um, find this idea of wetiko, which is an indigenous term, and, and, and why did that resonate with you so much? Yeah, well, in my story, my spiritual awakening got catalyzed by this intense abuse, by this trauma from my father. And, um, and it was as if this darker force was coming through him as an instrument. And when the abuse really took hold, that same you know, kind of evil energy, it was like getting a transfusion and it came into me. So all of a sudden it was, he could exit stage left. And I was left with this really, you know, darker spirit that wasn't in my mind at all. 
it was like getting a transmission. And then when I got thrown in psychiatric hospital, hospitals, I began to, to have the recognition, oh, my God, that same malignant, malevolent force, instead of operating through the person of my father, was now operating through the psychiatric system as a whole. I mean, I could not oh, believe the, okay. the madness and the abuse that was operating through the psychiatric system. And okay. then I began to recognize, like an iteration of a, of a fractal, that that same malevolent force was operating in the greater body politic of the world. And I began to recognize it's interfacing through our minds, through our psyches, and it somehow is able to inform and give shape to events in the physical world. So that's when I began. So I was I was tracking something like a higher dimensional evil energy. But what in my work, I try to point out that encoded within it is its own vaccine, that it actually has its own cure. And not only that, that it's actually helping us, that it's actually catalyzing our evolution. And that's informed my whole body of work. Right, right. And, and so you call with Tico a mind virus. What is there a specific definition for Wetiko? You know, someone is to ask you, like, what is Wetiko? What would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I describe it in as many ways as I can imagine. You could say it's a psychospiritual disease of the soul. It's like this um, blindness. It's a mind blindness, but it's a peculiar form of mind. Now, in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, there are these phrases about, oh, we have eyes but don't see or there's this mind blindness, or, you know, people have shut their eyes, and, and you know, and it's all pointing at what you go. In the apocryphal text, they talk mm-hmm. about a counterfeiting spirit, and this mm-hmm. is exactly what you go, because it has no creativity at all, but it's a, it impersonates us. It puts us on. Mm-hmm. It offers us this fictitious version of ourselves. Oh, I'm limited. I'm wounded. I'm traumatized. And if we're not awake in that moment, if we identify with its version of ourselves, then it has us, then it can manipulate. It has no power over us. So, it, you know, just one, you know, to, to contemplate what I just described, there are three things that happen. One is we actually give ourselves away. We identify with who we're not. And then we are creative agency, we sort of disassociate from. That's a recipe for madness. And that's what he go in a nutshell. And not just individually, but collectively as a species, when everybody is sort of under its thrall like that, or or the majority of people, then what what Tico is, it's a collective psychosis. And it works through the projective tendencies of the mind in such a way that we entrance ourselves. There is no one putting us under the spell. We are colluding in participating in creating our own spell. And what my work is, is trying to break the spell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, one of your earlier books was The Madness of George Bush. <laughs> and I, I thought it was quite interesting, but but I'm curious if you have anything to say about what happened with Trump getting elected, because to me, Trump couldn't have happened if George Bush had never gotten elected president. So, so, so yeah, yeah. why, why do you say that that the election of George Bush is a reflection of our collective psychosis? Yeah. And how and is Trump sort of the next step of that? Yeah. Well, I was so freaked out when Bush got elected that the way I kept myself sane was to write that book. And what I'm pointing at was that we're having a collective dream and we've dreamed up Bush to embody our own 
insanity, that he was a dream character that we collectively literally have dreamed up, you know, to reflect back to us instead of keeping, because the thing about Watiko, it feeds off of separation. If we think, mm. oh, Bush is crazy or Trump is crazy or whatever, and if we see them as separate from us, then we ourselves have unwittingly become an instrument for Watiko because it feeds off of, you know, polarization and fear. But I was trying to point out in the Bush book that, oh, he's actually this dream character reflecting back the insane part of us. And then when Trump got elected, I didn't even have to write anything because there were all these people writing about, oh, Trump is embodying and reflecting our own insanity. So I figured, OK, good, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, do something else. And that's when I wrote my quantum physics book and all that, wow. you know. OK. Uh, and I see my loyal listener, Sanaya, has a question on the Facebook Live. She asks, um, what do you think about Watiko seemingly within our dreams? Is it a subconscious awareness of it? Yeah. Well, I point out Watiko is this dreaming phenomena. We have literally dreamed up the Watiko psychic epidemic in our world because it's a collective psychosis. But what that means is that not only have we created it and co-creating it moment by moment, but it's actually showing us the dreamlike nature. That's what I mean, that encoded in the pathogen. You know, because Watiko is the source of the deepest evil, but it's a quantum phenomena. And what that means is that hidden within Watiko is the light, is this incredible gift. But if we don't have the recognition of what it's revealing to us, it will kill us. Absolutely. Right. You know, right, right, right. Because it's all uh, if if reality is really non-dual, if everything really is connected then within everything is both light and dark, is both good and evil, is both, you know, all the dualities that you can think of. Um, you, you mentioned the Kabbalah in your book. Um, us both being nice nice Jewish boys, I'm from the Bronx, you're from Yonkers. Uh, uh, what did you find in the Kabbalah that relates to Watiko? Yeah, well, you know, as soon as I finished Dispelling Watiko and it got published, I began studying the, the um the Kabbalah, and it blew my mind because I, I right away saw, oh, they're describing Watiko, but just in an incredibly creative way mm. that, you know, here the light of God, you know, the, the light of God came into these vessels, but it, you know, they shattered because they couldn't contain the light. And then there were these things, the, you know, called um, Klipot, I think is how you pronounce it, that parasitically fed off the light, but didn't actually have objective existence and in a way, they were the source of evil, but the sort, but the very center of the, these, these, you know, shards, the, the clipout were the light. And it was as if the light had put a spell on itself and then had unwittingly invested in the power of darkness that imprisoned the light. But the powers of darkness ultimately didn't even exist. And that hidden within the darkness was the light. You know, that is precisely what I've been pointing at is the nature of Watiko. So in, in that book that just came out, there's a whole big chapter on, on the Kabbalah and that, you know, that we play the role of being alchemist to, in a way, extract the light that's hidden in the darkness. And it's exactly that that I'm pointing at with what's happening in the world. Things seem so dark and all that, but I'm actually pointing at that it's like this revelation that what's happening with the war in Ukraine, with COVID, it's actually this revelation. But if we don't recognize that, 
well, then it'll kill us. Yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. And, and, and we are going to get there. I do want to get there, but I have a couple of other things I want to touch upon first. It just, you know, listening to you say it, what came to mind is this old movie I saw many, many years ago called the dark crystal. That was a, a Jim Henson movie. And in the movie, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a wonderful movie, but the quote unquote evil creatures and the quote unquote good creatures end up coming together at the end. And that when there was this sort of uh, uh, process or recognition that they're both one in the same, that only then was sort of the curse of the spell broken in this world of the dark crystal. Yeah. Um, now I've heard about so many people have told me about the dark crystal. I, I actually haven't uh, seen it, but you know, it's so great uh, for, because one of the ways of healing Watiko is to access the incredible creative spirit because our nature is creative. We're made in the image of our creator. And when, so, so I, I so encourage people, you know, cause we all have this living experience of Watiko in, in our relationships, in the world, you know, um, and for us to actually creatively express it, be it in like the dark crystal, a fairy tale, a painting, a story, you know, that actually is exorcistic. That actually takes the power away from the mind virus and we become empowered. So being creative is one of the main, you know, cures for Watika. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, uh, it's time for us to take our next break. When we come back, since it started on this thread, I, I want to ask you about one of my favorite science fiction authors that you mentioned in your book, Philip K. Dick, who they've they, they really, like, there are so many amazing science fiction movies now being made up from his work. He was very uh, uh, way ahead of his time, but you mentioned him in your book, so I, I want to get into why you mentioned him in the book. Yeah, and yeah. then, yeah, I want to bring it around, as you mentioned, to COVID, uh, of, of how COVID is sort of this symbolic representation of Watiko as well. So Everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking with Paul Levy, author of the new book, Watiko, uh, Dispelling, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. And we're going to get into what do we need to do individually to dispel Watiko. So everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges 
business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I see uh, on the Facebook Live, my friend Fred uh, uh, says, Grant Morrison had a great view about with Tico in his opus, The Invisibles. Uh, from this graphic novel, the movie The Matrix was built at. Um, so uh, before, before we get into that, I have to ask you about Philip K. Dick, because I was pleasantly surprised that you mentioned him and you have like a whole chapter on him in your book. And he's one of my favorite science fiction authors. Um, how did you come to include Philip K. Dick about this idea of Watiko? Sure. Well, when I began to study, you know, his, his personal journal, the, the letters he wrote, I, it blew my mind because I realized, oh, my God, he's word for word describing Watiko. He calls it um, the, the Black Iron Prison. Hmm. And and of course, he describes it in a typical, you know, in his unique one of a kind way, unlike anybody else. And, you know, I right away saw, oh, my God, you know, he's you know, he's shedding light on this mind virus that that works through our blind spots and through the projective tendencies of the mind. And it kind of captures the regulatory agency, the, the immune system of the psyche so that we're oblivious to that we unwittingly become an instrument for acting it out. And I just couldn't believe it. And, and he is like some sort of prophet or something. And I mean, he kept on saying, he goes, yeah, I'm not in the business of really sort of creating art. I'm in the business of actually expressing the truth. And mm-hmm. he knew he was onto something. And um, so, yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book all about how Philip K. Dick, because, you know, I'm trying to point out it's not just the Native American people, you know, they, they're the ones, you know, who came up with the word Watiko, but every spiritual tradition, every single one from time immemorial, so many of these visionary thinkers and philosophers and creative artists, they're all pointing at Watiko, which is mm-hmm. the very thing we need to see, because if we don't see it, you see, as long as we don't see it, it has power over us. But as soon as we see how it operates, through informing events in the outer world and actually, you know, inside of our own mind, as soon as we see it, we take away its power and we become empowered. So it's as if there's this malevolent force that Dick was pointing at that is doing everything it can to keep us asleep and stop us from seeing it. So, so, so how do we wake up to it? I mean, it, it's, Wetiko is not just a, a macro problem. It's not just a problem in the wor- whole world. It's a problem in our own lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how right. do we recognize in our own life that Watiko is an active agent so that we do have, we are empowered and we are, have agency over it? 
Yeah, well, you're totally right. Watiko operates on all scales, the micro, you know, inside of our minds, in our relationships and out in the greater body politic of the world. And, you know, it only like I'm saying, it only has power over us to the point that we don't see it. So it how it operates is through the projective tendencies of the mind. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. If you're in a dream and, and what is a dream, but it's this reflection of the mind instantaneously reflecting back whatever viewpoint we hold. If we're holding a viewpoint in the dream, the dream instantaneously reflects that viewpoint, which then confirms to us, oh, what we're seeing is objectively true. So then we get more fixed in our viewpoint. The more fixed in our viewpoint, the more the dream will just offer us evidence confirming our viewpoint in a self-reinforcing feedback loop whose origin is our own mind. And we have literally hypnotized ourselves by our creative genius. What I'm pointing, that's what Watiko does. When you see through that, you actually unlock the most unimaginable creativity because we just, you know, in quantum physics, the revelations emerging from quantum physics have proven this. I, I've written a whole book about that, but it's basically pointing out that we are actually creating our experience of ourselves and of the world instead of being passive victims. No, right. we become these, these, you know, proactive, creative agents with enormous power, each one of us, you know, because so many people feel helpless with what's happening in the world, all the, the madness and the evil. No, that's Watiko. That's the spell of Watiko. Each one of us have this enormous power. Right. And, and it's so interesting because I, I, when I talk to people about this, I like to say that, you know, we sometimes don't feel like we have much agency, but we actually do because we have choice. We have the ability to choose, and that choice is what empowers us, and that we can choose moment for moment, what are we focusing on? Which direction do we go? Are we showing up more in compassion or more in ego? We're constantly exercising our choice, and that's where our agency is, and that's where the real power lies. So, And, and we can look at it even in our own life. Our own life is a creation of not just the things that happen to us, but our response, our decisions, our choice of how we choose to respond to what happens to us. And that point, that that inflection point where we get to choose, it, it has all the power in the world. So we yeah, actually- Yeah, and, and that's why one of the, you know, in, in my work, I talk about that what Tico underlies like feeling traumatized or having addictions. Because when you have, for example, an addiction or like with trauma, you know, you just react and, and, and that's not being of choice, but, you know, and then that just feeds Watiko. But if you actually have that moment of spaciousness and then you realize, oh, I can choose to actually act out, you know, that habitual pattern, or I can actually make the choice to not do that. That's all of a sudden where we then have free will. If we're just compulsively acting out our thing and imagining we have free will, no, 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 not at all. But yeah, having that choice, that's that's the very sort of, that's the doorway. That's the portal. Mm. I, I noticed in your book, um, you mentioned Sri Aurobindo. Um, yeah. Aurobindo. Um, what did you learn from, from him? And, and, and yeah, well, that blew my mean? mind. I mean, because he, you know, was one of the greatest spiritual masters of the last century. And he, um, you know, the thing he emphasized the most 
was the hostile forces. And he kept mm-hmm. on describing these hostile forces. And, you know, 100%, he was articulating the what he called mind virus. And, and he was pointing out that when, when somebody is on the verge of evolving and waking up, well, then you attract the hostile forces that will try everything they can to try to stop you. And, and I, I experience that every day because as a creative person, as, as an author, writer, artist, I see as soon as I go you know, to my computer to start to write, I feel this incredible resistance, you know, or as I'm bringing in you know, my work on Watiko, I feel these incredible, like darker forces trying to stop me. And, you know, I've learned that, oh, that's a sign I'm on the right path. I'm doing something right. So instead of getting hooked by the resistance and stopping, no, I've learned the greater the resistance, the greater the potential gift if I, if I just don't identify with the resistance. And I think we all experience that, you know, right. and um, because one of the things about Watiko, when Watiko is around, it shuts down our voice. We all, it's not safe to speak. And then that process gets internalized where we then become our own control system, where we preemptively shut our true expression down before we are even aware of it because it gets pushed down into the unconscious. And that creates pathology. And then we've internalized the Watiko. Then we don't need any outside abuser. We are our own abuser. And that whole process is inspired by Watiko. Right, right. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, that old expression that we're our own worst enemy. Well, right. it, it, it's, it's because that's our own internal response to the, the, this programmatic thing that's running inside of us saying, you know, who are you? How, who's going to read your stuff? How, who are you to you know, stand out, speak? Right, up? right, right. We, we internalize the critic, you know, and right. so you know, the whole idea of Watiko, you know, it does not even exist. There is no such thing as Watiko, independently of our own mind, which is to say we are complicit moment by moment in creating it. You know, right. it's not even important. Oh, what is the origin of it? No, it's getting created in each and every moment by us. We are participating, you know, in its invocation. And what that means is that when we bring awareness to that, we can make the choice to stop doing it. And then right. all of then we we all of our light, our nature, our love, our compassion, and our creativity can just express itself freely. Right, right. And then we can truly be who we are. We can truly right. live our life the way we're meant to live our life. Right, exactly. Um I have a question around that, but I think I want to wait because we're almost at time to take a commercial break. So I think I'm going to take the last break a little early so we can go out and come back. And then I want to um, ask you this question when we come back, which is, can we rid the world of Watiko by waking up? And like when we see, like even we're aware of Watiko, but when we see other people so unaware of Watiko, what do we do to help them wake up? Like it's not yeah. just our own awakening, sure. it's everyone else's awakening. So we'll get into that um, right after this commercial break. We're speaking with Paul Levy, Levy the author of Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we will be right back after these messages. 
Join us every Tuesday at 4pm Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, or what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4pm, every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. So, Paul, we've been talking all about with Tico this past 45 minutes. Can we ultimately dispel with Tico or is with Tico always going to be here? Yeah, and that's a good question. Now, the thing to, you know, just to contextualize the the Tico mind virus is it's at the root of the collective madness we're playing out and of all the evil you know, that is getting enacted. And, you know, if I were to think, what is the the worst thing that could possibly happen right now? It's that if Watiko would disappear from the world, because then we'd have no way to evolve, you know, Mm -hmm. and in theory, if not in practice, yeah, there could be a world where where we awaken, because what Watiko really is, in a sense, is a misidentification of who we think we are. It's when we're identified with the separate self, and as soon as I identify with a separate self, then there's others. As soon as there's others, there's fear, and fear is the superfood for Watiko. So the idea being to the extent that we snap out of the imagination of the separate self and sufficient number of other people have that same recognition and we discover just the existing state of affairs, that we're interdependent and interconnected with each other, that there is no separate self anywhere to be found, and then the expression of that is compassion. In theory, that could potentially happen to the point where our species could really have a global awakening. But then the question comes up, well, say if we awaken to whatever degree we do, how do we, you know, how do we awaken other people? And if, right. we, if we preach the light to people whose eyes are blind, the one who's blind is us. That doesn't help. Mm -hmm. So then it's a question, how do we teach people the art of seeing? 
And that's mm-hmm. a very open-ended question. I don't know if I can answer yeah. that in a yeah. short sentence, but that's really the nature of our situation. Right, right. I I, I want to get into what's happening in, in Ukraine and, and just in the world in general. But before we do, I want to talk about the pandemic, because you have a whole chapter talking about coronavirus. And and how is the the coronavirus a reflection of Watiko? Yeah, yeah. So I, I make a joke with my friends that if I had a marketing department, they couldn't have created a better publicity campaign <laughs> than what's played out in the world the last two years, you know, because yeah. the COVID, the global pandemic is Watiko, if you have the eyes to see, because if people think COVID is just a physical virus, no, that's no. only one of its vectors. Think about how it's impacted every aspect of society, economically, politically, socially, what we wear, what we think about, what we dream at night, how we interact with each other. And, um, you know, so the point is, is that COVID has these multiple vectors of transmission and how it impacts our minds. And when you begin to see that, it's like all of a sudden seeing the higher dimensional image of, you know, just, you know, the superficial physical coronavirus. That's just the, the most surface image of what's actually happening. And then you begin to see, oh, all of those reactions, you know, both economically, politically, every single way, you know, our behavior, it's mediated through the human psyche. And the human psyche is the arena for Watiko. And so there is a way of actually seeing what's happening in the world. You know, when COVID came on the scene, that helps us to see Watiko, okay? Mm. And seeing Watiko, like I say again and again, seeing how it actually is able to configure events in the outer world so as to reflect back the psyche that's under its thrall. So in other words, the outer world is reflecting the inner condition of humanity. That's just like a dream, where what is a dream? It's a projection of the the dreamer, of the mind. And Mm. so all of a sudden, when you begin to see that, you see, As soon as we're seeing this world through the fragmented vision of the separate self, we can't see Watiko. But when you begin to see the non-local field, the quantum field, that we're interconnected, that we're contained within the field, that we're expressions of it, that there is no separate parts interacting like quantum physics has proven, but it's all seamlessly interconnected. It's one whole, that holistic vision, then we can begin to see Watiko. And that's what I'm pointing at bringing that perception into the global pandemic and into the war in Ukraine. Same thing. Right. Because to me, it's like the the pandemic was like the clearest indicator that we all are so interdependent, that we are all so connected. One person's health is everybody's health, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That if somebody still is sick, oh, then we're still at risk and we're actually, we depend on each other for our well-being exactly it couldn't be more clear right exactly exactly and and it's funny like the pandemic and the lockdown has been such a great opportunity but also our greatest challenge because now all of a sudden okay we're not going out we don't have we're not interacting with people so much we don't have all of that external stimulation to kind of distract us so now we have to be present with ourselves But as a friend of mine said early on in the pandemic, who's a a meditator, she said, Sam, you know, people like you and me, if we can't go outside, we go inside, we go internal. But a lot of people don't know how to do that. So, 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 and, and, and it sounds interesting also because there's been a lot of, 
apparent division, let's say, like even in families now where people are like, you know, so one side or another side when it comes to the pandemic or the politics or whatever, it's like the the contrast is the greatest that it's ever been in our lifetime. So, so, so how do you approach somebody when you see like there, there's such a gap between where they are and where we are, how right. do we show up in a way to encourage them to see the interdependence? Yeah, no, totally. And you're describing the there's a polarization in our world, unlike we've ever seen. And keep in mind what Tico, it both inspires the polarization and it feeds off it, you know. Yeah. And and so one of um, you know, one of the problems is that, you know, people assume a viewpoint, be it, you know, they've ingested the propaganda from the mainstream media or they've done their research and have come to a certain conclusion. But the problem is, is that whatever side you're on, typically then people um, feel that, oh, I'm in possession of the truth. Mm. And then all of a sudden that creates a subtle separation. And then mm. they try to convince the other person. And then, you know, of course, Watiko is inspiring that whole, you know, escapade in a way. And then, get, you know, this right. gets more and more stronger. So I guess one thing that I try to do is, you know, I have certain points of view of what I think is happening. And but I also cultivate the ability to try to entertain how is the other side seeing things? How come they're seeing it that way? Are they seeing something that I'm not seeing? And and so then all of a sudden it can create some sort of compassion, some sort of connection, you know, and it's interesting with certain friends who I feel are really fixed in a particular viewpoint. I've learned, oh, there's this don't go there zone. I don't even because to even bring up certain topics, you know, it just creates separation and hurt. And I've never experienced anything like that before. But if yeah. you remember, I was saying when Watiko's in the field, it's not safe to speak, you know, because yeah. think about it. If we, you know, uh, particularly people who have a platform, if we're espousing points of view that are other than the mainstream narrative, than the agreed upon uh, agreed upon narrative, we can get deplatformed, censored, right. attacked, demonetized, the whole thing. And that's an example. That's an externalization of the inner process of how Watiko works in a psyche. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm curious, with everything going on and, and with the way things are playing out, are you concerned about the future for humanity or are you hopeful? Yeah, um, I hold both in the sense that th it, we're in an unbelievably perilous position. It makes me think, I think there's a, a French proverb, like, and it says something like, um, this is no time for pessimism, we'll save that for better times, uh, you know? <laughs> and the idea being is that, no, well, what Tico contains in a superposition of states both the deepest evil and the highest good. And um, so how this is going to manifest, just like quantum physics points out, it's in a state of open-ended potentiality. You know, mm -hmm. we can absolutely destroy the biosphere and, and destroy our species and take ourselves down. Or this could be the catalyst for the, you know, for our evolution as a species, for a worldwide global awakening. Absolutely. And how it actually manifests depends on us because we're the dreamers. The no, point no. Of, of what I'm trying to say, to the extent we see, we actually have the realization, not just intellectually, 
but in our hearts that this is a dream, not metaphorically that it's like a dream. No, this is a collective dream. We are literally co-creating our universe moment by moment. That's what every spiritual tradition is pointing at. And that's what this can potentially initiate us into. And if a sufficient number of us get tapped into that and connect with each other, because then that goes viral, that that's a contagion that actually will help humanity awaken, then I'm very, very hopeful, you know, but it's easy to get seduced because the evidence, at least on one level of reality, is very, you know, convincingly dark and we can get into despair. But if we right. fall into that pessimism, then we're part of the problem because then we're right. going to invoke all the evidence to confirm our point of view in a self-reinforcing feedback loop whose origin is our own mind. And then we're a minion of Watika. Right, right. I, I find it so fascinating. It's it's also like a reflection of the polarization. Is There are some people out there, I think you and I included, who... um see the empowerment, like see the possibilities, see like the, the amazing things that are happening right now. And then there are the, the, this other people who live in a completely different world where everything is dark, where everything's a problem, where everything is going to the hell in a handbasket, as they say. And, and it's like, there are these two worlds simultaneously and, and people are living in these two completely different worlds and we're side by side. Right. With no intersection, like parallel lines. Yeah. Right. And it makes yeah. me think of, I think, what you had, you know, um, your your book that, you you know, at the beginning of, of this talk, you had said something like, well, the thing that makes me think of one of my teachers who was here, this great Tibetan Lama a few years ago visiting me. And he probably said this a million times, but I never heard it like I did this one moment. And he said, you know, in Tibet, all of the great enlightened beings, they didn't become enlightened because things are going great. No, mm -hmm. they became enlightened because there were incredible obstacles in their path. Mm -hmm. And they were able to carry the obstacles to catalyze their realization. And that's the nature of our situation right now. We have mm -hmm. dreamed up Watiko. It's a dreamed up phenomena. You know, it's informing. It's giving shape to the war in Ukraine, in, with the COVID madness, all of those things. And it can actually reveal to us the primacy of the human psyche in creating our experience. And to realize that is to realize that the, that the mind and matter, like quantum physics has empirically shown, are not separate. To realize that is to have a holistic vision and expansion of consciousness. And that itself is, this, is to dispel Watiko. And that unlocks love, creativity, compassion. And then you embody that and express that in whatever way you do. And by you doing that, you're actually being in service and making it more helpful or more probable that other people can access that. That's, you know, so what I'm pointing out is that the real deadly virus that's infecting our species is the mind virus, is what you know. Yeah. It's yeah, not exactly. COVID, you know. Right. Exactly, exactly. But the beautiful thing about it is just by doing our own work, just by us focusing on our own enlightenment, our own awakening, we're affecting the world, we're affecting other people, because we are all energetic beings. And that 
frequency, that vibration is being given off. And that's the surest way we have of improving the world. Paul, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Unfortunately, I could talk to you for hours. I am so grateful for you to take time out of your day to come on my show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's been it's totally my pleasure. I've really enjoyed this, Sam. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. And and please, if you ever make it to New York City, please look me up and I'll do yeah, the same sure. if I make it to Portland. Portland, absolutely. And so just a last reminder. So Paul is the author of Wetiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. Very worthwhile book. Please go out and get it. It's a very important topic. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Next week coming up, I have another amazing author who wrote a book all around uh, the Seth, the Jane Roberts uh, phenomena, Seth, called Recentering Seth. I'm going to be talking about that. Don't forget, later today, we have an encore presentation of Frank About Health at 5 p.m. Tomorrow, we've got uh, Philanthropy and Focus, Always Friday, uh, Wise Content Creates Wealth, and then Monday evening, we start it all over again, The Edge of Every Day. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life hi i'm pat duckworth women's health strategist and host of the hot women rock radio show empowering women leaders at menopause join me every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time 3 p.m uk time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway 
Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 